Hi, and welcome to an episode of Barely Research Facts. So if you're new here, uh, Barely Research Facts is a facts-based show, Barely, brought to you by Das, a content, arts, and events company based here in India. The show is a trip down dissection lane of words. Every episode, the host Ragini and Mishar choose one word and deep dive into it. Every interesting fact we have or we can find we research somewhat casually and bring to you pairing it with some good humor and casual chat between two friends. We've got a fact pack season two with the usual great facts, good chat, and we're throwing in some more guests this season. So we hope you've been keeping track of us and our episodes and there's lots more to come. So this is the ninth episode of our second season. Like I said before, this episode, we've chosen the word chill. Now, if there's if there's anything that we or indeed everyone in the world needs right now, it's a chill pill. And we'll give you a precise recipe for one uh, straight from the most medically sound and reliable century in human history, the 1800s. While you're digesting that recipe, you might experience a hint of erection common occurrence when listening to any of our episodes. Worry not, we'll explain what that means during the episode. And lastly, we go deeper into why the chillness of longtime friends of Mary Jane is frustrating anesthetists everywhere. Uh, we hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, guys. Okay, so I'm going to jump in with our very first fact, which is about the famous chill pill. Okay. But um, so I don't know, Shah, did you ever, ever ask someone to take a chill pill in, in life? Is it actually a thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember telling people to take a chill pill back in the day and we thought back it was very cool back in the 90s. Very, very cringe now, I feel. <laughs> like if I had to say to someone right now, I'd be like, oh my God. But, but, but back in the 1800s, very literal. So apparently in the late 1800s, if you told someone to take a chill pill, very literally asking them to take a pill to cure the actual chills. So wait, so you're saying not only is there an actual chill pill, but they were using the expression in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Apparently it was cool in the eighteen hundreds as well. <laughs> so Is it was it cool? It was cool yeah. during that that short time period that we used it. And then the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> it might be coming back. <laughs> the 1800s. But apparently in Housekeeping in Old Virginia, an 1879 book of recipes and housekeeping tips compiled by 250 of Virginia's noted housewives. Uh, I don't know who would con- like constitute a noted housewife, but apparently, okay, that was... Hey, it was the 1800s, yeah. <laughs> was, you know. The, At least they were recognizing that it was a it was an, a good job to have. <laughs> they were noted <laughs> for it. required some intelligence. Yeah, it required some intelligence and expertise to conduct. Yeah, like... But they were, there was basically a section on home medicines and remedies for when doctors were not available. But, you know, you had things, easy access to things like morphine just in your kitchen pantry for some reason, I imagine. Casual. Yeah, just there. But so in this context, chill pills were, you know, and a remedy for the chills. And yeah. just in case anyone's interested in how you go about making this, we will put a recipe in the blog. Uh, because I really don't know why anyone would not be interested in how to make a chill pill, honestly. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, like, I was also interested in kind of understanding why was, like, why is, why do people aspire to be chill? Chill, you know, uh, for me, would be a sort of de- descendant of the word cool, you know. And cool, I yeah. think, seems to be much older in its slang use. So, apparently, it, you know, for a long time now, people who were called cool or cool-tempered well, generally, you know, it sort of was, was give you some kind of individual merit. And it has had 
a strong mm. history of that. So in the 1880s and the 1890s, apparently describing somebody as a cool fish at Eton in the United Kingdom was uh, someone who was sophisticated, worldly, and could deal with life and all the things that it threw at them with a, with a sense of calm and cool. So... Wasn't it all of them because they were rich and had no, had no worries like, at all? Issues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're all cool fish. Yeah. And in, in, another t- in another definition of the term, it also means a cocky, self-possessed schoolboy. So, yeah. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like an Etonian. <laughs> but given that chili and cold possibly have like similar meanings in, you know, standard English, it is kind of natural that chill became a synonym for cool. And then, oh, by the way, sorry, I have, I have to mention this, but I found this out and this is possibly the coolest thing I've ever known. Okay, but in the 1950s, oh, wow. great build up. Yeah, yeah I'm good. <laughs> Chilling the mark was criminal slang to, you know, rid your victim of their stuff without them knowing that they've been robbed. So if I ever said, I chilled the mark and you just walk away, I cannot imagine anything cooler than that ever. Wow. So what happened to my brother-in-law in Rome when his wallet was gone and we didn't even realize until we like yeah. got back to yeah. the hotel. And you had one like robber somewhere saying, yeah, I chilled the mark. In in Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Someone translate. <laughs> so, uh, chill pill became a thing in the 80s, apparently. Uh, and there is some relation to this having come about, you know, when as information about ADHD was on the rise and people started taking medication for ADHD because generally, you know, uh, it, it was supposed to have a calming effect on people who were already in a slightly hyperactive state. By the 1990s, it was a fairly common phrase. And in in the New Partridge Dictionary of Slang and Unconventional English, it's referred to as a mythical pill that will induce calm. Mythical? Yeah. So that's the thing. It, it, it does mean, it does feel like the the appeal of chill pill is less to do with the actual chill pills of the 1800s and more to do with the fact that, you know... Uh, no. I think it's just, it's just got a really <laughs> pleasing internal rhyme and I think that just got on. Okay, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I feel like... It, was there a reference to this in Kuch Kuch Hota Hai or something? Kareena Kapoor, I feel like... Wow, you have your the, Bollywood knowledge or like so mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> well, anybody with any more Bollywood knowledge than me, which is basically everyone... What yeah, you mean to say is Kabhi Khushi Kabhi Gam and Kajol and Shahrukh's son <laughs> tells her to mom, take a chill pill. Oh yeah, yeah. see I had the, the No, right you had nothing actor. right. You had Karan Johar, <laughs> Shahrukh Khan. <laughs> that was you remember. Oh gosh. Okay. Sorry. I shouldn't have, this is why I shouldn't interrupt Ragini. <laughs> But, okay, I'm going to now get into the science behind what has made cool and chill so ripe for slang and why is it the state that people aspire to, okay? So, it seems like for a long time, there has been an association between low temperatures and generally being relaxed. So, to expand on that, we go back to Hippocrates, who theorized that human moods and behaviors were influenced by four bodily humors, which is blood, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm, right? And then later... Uh, a Greek physician, Galen, separated humans into four types of temperaments, which was again based on these humors and their associate properties of hot, cold, wet and dry. So, sanguine Mm. people who were ruled by blood and choleric people who were ruled by yellow bile were the hot ones and they are characterized by extroversion and outward, like being very outwardly emotional uh, and by melancholic black people who have more black bile and phlegmatic people who are more phlegmy, I suppose. Uh, have temperaments that are much cooler. And these are characterized by introversion and sort of being quieter. Okay. Now, 
in today's world, like if you think about it, somebody who's, you know, super outgoing and very like and through all the time and is like quick to react to everything is possibly not as, you know, and versus somebody who's like, you know, kind of calm and like relaxed and easygoing. Um, I think for, for you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just the easier thing to kind of aspire to because you want to be like this person who just seems to have everything under control uh, versus the hot-headed one. <laughs> and I think especially when you're... Do you think... Do you think that because you and I are both ha- more towards the hyper side? Hyper, definitely. Do you think that's what we think other people think? Because <laughs> I, I aspire to be cool. Yeah, for sure. But do you think a really calm person is like, oh, I wish I was more expressive. Like, damn it. Yeah, maybe. You take an But you know pill. what? If, if you're in school and like if you're a teenager, when you're already like, you know, ruled by hormones, everything is like, oh my God, everything's like, you know, everything's like urgent. And then there's this one kid who's mm-hmm. in the back of the class and he's just like not bothered. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's super yeah. hot. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, if I was a teenager. Yeah. If I was... T- <laughs> okay. I'm just, just going uh, yeah. from bad to worse Disclaimer, in this episode. was not into 17-year-old boys. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm not. Okay. Just like putting it down yeah. there. No. But I don't think that that is, uh, that, that is my... After all of my research for this episode, that is why how I have come to the conclusion that this is why chill is so aspirational. It's why it's come into like extensive slang use uh, and how it's gone from being a literal pill to being just a very pleasing rhyme scheme. <laughs> I like that. I like both versions. Yeah. I want this recipe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> On the blog. Um, yeah. And I like that. You know what? It reminded me of this this TikTok that I saw a YouTube shot that I saw about this autistic girl who's explaining why she uses certain words. So she says that I don't like being hot. I hate having hot, like hot weather really like makes me uncomfortable. So when I describe a Disney prince, because that's her frame of reference, um, I call the villains hot because I don't like the heat. <laughs> And I like being cool and I like being in colder weather. So I call all the heroes cool. Wow. Like it's so cute. Like that's the association her brain has made, which is like, you know, I like this. Hence, you are this. I do not like this. Hence, the villain is this. <laughs> I love that. I just love that as a cute little story. Um, right. So, Ragini. Mm. Before we started recording, I made you listen to, well, watch yeah. a video. Do you want to explain? So, just to ex- uh, uh, the video was of a talent show. Um, Italy's I don't got think talent. It was in English speaking. Italy. Italy's yeah. got talent, where a lovely lady was uh, performing, and I sent Ragni the video and wanted to get her reaction. So, do you want to just like describe quickly, like how you felt when you saw the video? I, I you know, we should have actually recorded me me watching that video because I think my face was oh, like me. incredibly expressive. I don't know how to, how to explain it. It's I got ASMR feels, for sure, because <laughs> she starts off with like something. But it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know how to describe it. I think it's it's this uh, it's this girl who's basically making these sounds. But she's like a one-man opera, wasn't she? Mm. Yeah. Like she was just, yeah. yeah. Oh, so she creates, so she starts off with like a sort of version of throat singing. Yeah. If, I don't know if like you guys have heard it, but sort of a version of throat singing. And then, and you can see the judges sort of like, it sounds almost like, yeah, (laughs) it sounds almost like what uh, the Inui people have a particular way of breathing in and breathing out. And like, you know, it's a very rhythmic sort of Mm. 
expression of like singing, a version of singing. So she does that and you're like sort of thrown because it's, it's completely different to all the other acts in a traditional talent show. And then she goes into beautiful melodic like op- operatic singing and that's that the when she switched i got the chills yeah and yeah 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 yeah, yeah. oh god goosebumps for sure yeah so this is a thing now i'm sure everybody who has been on the internet for 5 minutes has heard of this phenomenon of like if you listen to a particular piece of music then you get the chills and there's a word for it etc well essentially um the experience that you that you're having when you listen to this music and you have a chill is called frisson um and it's a french term meaning aesthetic chills which i love i just love yeah. that aesthetic chills um and so it basically feels like a wave of pleasure running all over your skin and it's sometimes uh, like accompanied by um uh by paresthesia or by piloerection and oh. my dryasis now all wow. of these terms sound really really unnecessarily Sexual. aggressive and vulgar <laughs> but uh, piloerection is just another it's the scientific term for goosebumps or goose flesh oh, that makes sense. and my dryasis has has nothing to do <laughs> with your with what you would think <laughs> yes <laughs> it's actually just the dilation of your pupils so um, so continuing on in this same innocent way <laughs> there's a guy called David Huron or Huron who is a Canadian hum- humanities and arts professor and he he has an interesting like cross section of like skill sets which is he is uh, he's a professor both in the school of music as well as the center for cognitive and brain sciences so he studies the cognitive effect of music and so that's exactly where you need to be if you want to study this phenomenon so essentially some scientists have like they've done a lot of research on basically like people reacting to music and particular pieces of music and they've come up with like certain criteria i'm not going to go into all of it because I, in the past we have tried to explain sciencey things especially to do with space which <laughs> i mean has we've done our best us. but i'm not, i wouldn't say <laughs> yes i wouldn't say it's the best but one of the things that came up was um it's basically about uh, two two main criteria which is one is how there is a shift so this video we put it in the, in the blog notes and you can have a look at the video yourself but that shift from singing something that's you know incomprehensible to most people to going into opera operatic like music which is a lot of people understand that you need skill and talent to do it that shift is is almost required in pieces of music that cause friction so your anticipation your the events not coinciding what with what you anticipate will happen so that shift is one thing that needs to be there and the second thing is how immersed you are in it so someone like me and ragni uh, sorry ragni i'm speaking for mm. you here but you don't know anything about opera opera okay. right because <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah, safe safe assumption yes i don't either. yeah yeah um so mm. people who are well versed or are you know know more about it probably have it in, in the reaction is more pronounced in them so those are the two main things that you need to have for friction to occur and um you know sometimes you have goosebumps sometimes you have your you know your pupils dilate sometimes you have full body chills and it's like not they're not mutually exclusive but they all do contribute to this phenomenon um so i mean don't you isn't that super interesting yeah. that 
that's something so like, you know, it's not physically happening to you, but it is in a sort of way because it, you're imbibing it in a way that's causing a physical reaction. Um, so they have, uh, so when they conducted this research, uh, they connected this quality called openness to experience to friction. So uh, basically, most researchers have concluded that listeners were experiencing friction as a result of a deeply emotional reaction, which is obvious. Um, in contrast, there are some results of studies that show that it's the cognitive components to openness to experience. So how well you know the music or if you know the person is adapting it in a way that is amazing, um, which again, like I feel, I feel like is so such a such an innocuous thing like one of the other things that causes this reaction in me is Johnny Cash's version of Hurt yeah oh my god it is just have you, have you watched you know, the, like, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, video where where he takes uh, so it's it's this really funny meme man it's a video we put it in the blog post as well but like he basically has uh, he, he has a lineup going and he's got them and, yeah. and he's oh. got them singing and at the end of it he's like yeah. literal chills guys literal chills <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I could think about while you were talking. Yeah, that's completely yeah. it. Like even like with comedy, if you can, because you know that is the that is the outcome being different to what you anticipated. Yeah, yeah. that is that factor yeah. in there. Because yeah. I've, I mean, obviously anybody who's seen it knows that you know they do a good version yeah. of the yeah. <laughs> of the song. <laughs> of I I want it that yeah. way, but uh, you know it's not like. Yeah, it's anybody could react to that and just be like, oh my God, that's... Yeah. Um, yeah, so so this... Now, if if you are thinking, well, this sounds familiar. If you think that this emotionally triggered response sounds familiar to something else you've experienced as a worldwide phenomenon on the internet and YouTube, uh, it's because it sounds like ASMR. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'm not going to... I'm not going to explain what ASMR is, but... Um, you could go back to one of our previous episodes on Whisper and just... <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's an ASMR treat. Good, good catch. And we've given you some recommendations yeah. on the blog yeah. for. You should get ASMR shower back. One of the episodes. <gasps> yeah, mm. ASMR shower. Yeah. You're now going into an episode of Art Now Thus's Barely Research Friends. <laughs> I'll stop this now because the <laughs> because this episode will become very long. <laughs> yes. So I just wanted to put in a little bit about ASMR over here, which I didn't know. So I thought it was interesting to put down. But the contemporary history of ASMR apparently began in 2007 on a discussion forum for health-related subjects at a website called Steady Health. So a 21-year-old registered user who is uh, aptly named for a 21-year-old, okay, whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Sub- so, okay, whatever, submitted a post describing having experienced a specific sensation since childhood, comparable to that stimulated by tracing fingers along the skin, yet often triggered by seemingly random and unrelated non-haptic events, such as watching a puppet show or being read a story. So these aren't like same to the chills or friction because it's common everyday things mm. you know it's like someone reading you a story or something like that as opposed to the two it doesn't fulfill the two criteria i mentioned earlier and so the replies to this post obviously is the internet so everybody can relate um, that so many people came forward and said oh, yeah we do like you know we completely relate to that and usually when witnessing mundane events so like uh, you know Essentially, this this group start is the first mention of when ASMR was a thing. 
and this is in like 2007 so not that long ago actually yeah because i feel like it's only in 2015 or, or like in the last six or seven years yeah. yeah i mean if you look at the the youtube stats on some of these videos and i feel like the low effort videos yeah. <laughs> okay i mean personally speaking not dissing any smr artists Artism. or asmr dists they call asmr artists are you making this up or is this a thing no i'm not okay. i promise that's I a like... thing so that is the story of rishan and um I, in the blog notes i'm going to put in another um list of like music basically that should should or if it doesn't give you goosebumps that just means you're you know there's something wrong with you okay okay <laughs> <I'm> joking i <laughs> went unnecessarily aggressive <laughs> yeah, in the end yeah. um but <laughs> there is very bad soon huh? <laughs> this is why we need her but yeah so there's it's music that should give you goosebumps and you can check that out and also we'll include the slate article that uh, borrowed that i borrowed a lot of my research <laughs> from <laughs> before we go into the next uh to the next segment I do want to say something. Okay, so this is a little break before we go into the next segment. But if you are enjoying this episode and I really hope that you are, this week we have a small favor to ask of you. You all know BRF is an independent podcast. We have no sponsors for right now. We love making this podcast. It's evident. And we want to keep doing it forever and ever and ever. So if you love us as much as we love doing this, I have a request, <laughs> which is basically do consider supporting us through a small donation via our Instamojo link if you are in India. or our paypal uh, if you are abroad you can find the links to both of these on our instagram bio for right now or in the show notes of this episode as well on instagram we are at belly research facts if you are not able to support us monetarily that's completely fine we completely get it but if you'd still like to help out uh, you can still do that by rating the show on or uh, leaving us a review on spotify itunes if you're listening to the show on either listening platform but yeah but if you are able to at all contribute and, and help the show out it would make help us tremendously and we'd be forever and ever grateful so yeah and if we have enough supporters we can come up with a you know fresh content for them perhaps or something interesting in the future so yeah, yeah. support is always appreciated right. and the possibilities are endless okay coming back to to all things chill and things that make you chill well one thing that makes everybody chill apparently marijuana there's a report in the journal of the american osteopathic association where patients who regularly smoked marijuana required as much as 220% more anesthetic chemicals to become fully sedated so this is a study that's been ongoing for a while about just what are the effects of regularly smoking up and how does that impact any other drugs that you may need to take in order to get you into a sedated state so wow the study basically says is smokers generally just too chill and do they need to not be that chill in order to take the medication but it basically so the dosage of chemicals like fentanyl midazolam and propofol i think these are usually apparently chemicals that are used to knock people out before procedures and for everyone who's been a regular smoker in the study at least the dosages for these have been much higher than people who don't smoke up uh Ooh. so obviously the the sedatives in the study were all used legally for medical reasons it's not like they were just like doing random test runs people are knocking them out <laughs> you on the street <laughs> wow fentanyl is like isn't that horse tranquilizer or is that ketamine i don't know i feel like i don't know enough about this to comment yes, but <laughs> they're really heavy they're really heavy i'm and assuming they, so like how much how much more did you say the 220% more quantities of anesthetic chemicals to be fully sedated oh, like to knock knock your basically 
So the records mm. analyzed 250 randomly chosen patients who went for endoscopic exams and the procedure was used during a colonoscopy where the doctor basically inserts a camera up your bum into your intestine. It's very pleasant at a, like at a hospital in Colorado. And of the 250, 10% were people who were regularly smoking. So it's about 25 people. But in those 25 people, there was a significant pattern to the amount of sedatives that they had to use in their procedures. On an average, mm. those patients required about... 14% more of the fentanyl to get them to go to sleep. It required about 20% more of midazolam and 220.5% more of propofol to help them achieve that level of drowsiness in order for the colon examinations to happen. Yeah, now obviously the study is, it's, it's one study. There are like, you know, certain factors that are kind of, that could be potentially biased. So it does need to kind of, I mean, it, 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 I think more yeah, there has to be like, there is a little bit of research uh, still ongoing on this. But so far, it does look like there is a direct correlation to the amount of marijuana someone consumes and how quickly their body then is able to react to anesthetic chemicals. Cool. So, yeah. So basically, until more research is done, we can't be sure what this could mean. But uh, but yeah, there is a chance that uh, your friendly neighborhood smoker is maybe too chill. Too chill for their own good. <laughs> then that's Auntie Ragni in the room. <laughs> Listen, boys. <laughs> I'm telling Don't be you, smoking when so you much want to go for the colonoscopy, no? Yeah. <laughs> You'll remember my words. You will only thank me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think with that, we end this a very pleasant segment. Uh, we hope you all learned your lesson, guys. We will see you all next week. No, week after next with another episode. Before we log out, though, we have revamped our popular newsletter over the last few months. We now have a newsletter called Probably Relevant that goes out twice a month. It is the coolest newsletter. And it's where you can basically hang to get a bunch of like fabulous monthly doses of every interesting thing that we can scour on the internet. It's all of our research for barely research facts on steroids. Honestly. So you can sign up via our website. We're at www.artaudas.in or you could hit the link in our bio on Instagram. Again, we are at Barely Research Facts there. Also drop us a follow if you don't already. Consider donating if you can. And uh, we will see you in two weeks with another word and another episode. Have a good one. See you guys. Okay, and that was the episode. Before we sign off, though, I do have a little note from our parent company, Art Now Thus, and their newsletter, Probably Relevant. Probably Relevant is the coolest newsletter on the blog. It's where we scour for every interesting fact we can find and stuff it in there. It's filled to the brim with just the most amazing content. I highly recommend subscribing to it. But as a little teaser for why you should definitely be subscribed to it for November, this is what we have in store. This month, we're bringing some fiction to the newsletter. For the very first time, a story about an embroiderer called Ambrose who finds themselves in a rather uncanny situation. Written in verse and illustrated by Arman Chagla, the tale of the Polycosmosian brings you a weird and wonderful parable with some weird and wonderful details about embroidery, books and architecture. So watch your inbox for the November issue of Probably Relevant. Subscribe via the link in our Instagram bio or from our website www.artnadas.in. As always, this episode was edited by Mohit Chandelier. Music for the episode is by Charita Arora. We'll see you with a brand new word in a couple of weeks. Bye!